This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 132, Flashback, Heroes Reborn. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode 132, the Flashback Heroes Are Born episode. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and Happy New Year, everybody. This is our first episode of the new year. Uh, unfortunately, I guess the past week, I've actually been quite ill. Um, just really bad cold, which I think we did an episode last week on the 31st, which uh, my voice started to go, and it was really going for like the last two episodes we did, which was a Talking Heroclix and a Reviews podcast. And so I kind of took a few days to kind of let my voice come back. Uh, feel a little bit better, obviously, ringing the new year, and now we are back with episode 132. Uh, there's going to be a little bit of feedback in the background just because uh, there's some laundry being done today, which cannot be avoided, so uh, there's going to be a little bit of a rattling in the background. I've tried to angle the uh, microphone away from it, so there'll be a little bit less of that. Uh, and so let's just jump in, why don't we? Uh, this is our flashback episode. It's the second time I've done one of these. Uh, the first one which was kind of a focus on... Uh, two Spider-Man storylines, or two and a half, kind of, because there's preludes. Um, Identity Crisis and Spider-Hunt, uh, which happened in, I guess, 1998. Uh, now, today, we're going to be talking about something that happened in 1996, or at least started in 96, uh, the tail end of 96. Um, and that is none other than uh, Heroes Are Born, which is often derided. Um, it's always been interesting to me to go back and look at these Heroes Reborn comics and kind of understand the, the the kind of the reason why they even happened at all. I mean, the, the sales of Iron Man hadn't been doing so well. Obviously, they'd done Avengers The Crossing. They had gotten rid of Iron Man, kind of, uh, at least the adult Tony Stark, and replaced him with Teen Tony. Um, so that had been happening over in Iron Man with not a lot of success, and creatively, it wasn't the greatest book I've ever read. Uh, although, thankfully, uh, those issues of Teen Tony are now available in a trade paperback. Um, I think it's uh, the Avengers Iron Man Collection First Sign, which recently came out, which I bought right away and then instantly half-regretted. But I, I love reading stuff from eras that I haven't really dabbled in or I know a little bit of, but haven't really been able to ex- been exposed to them. So uh, I found it at least interesting and enlightening from one perspective, although maybe not the best written comics Um Captain America had actually been going through a great period with Mark Wade and Ron Garney, uh, but uh, you know maybe it was a little bit of a too little, too late. Avengers had kind of been creatively bankrupt at that point. They were really after the crossing, they didn't do so well leading up to their final what two and a half issues that dealt with uh, onslaught. Um, Thor, I mean that you had some stuff by Warren Ellis and Mike Diodato, but it was a lot of weird stuff as well, and I believe it wasn't really selling that well either. Um, and the last one, I guess, would have been Fantastic Four, which had kind of recently put pieces back together in terms of bringing back Reed Richards from the dead, or supposed dead, as well as Doctor Doom. Uh, I read for a while as supporting a, a bitch and beard. Um, and they finally resolved the Hyperstorm storyline, and Franklin was back to being a child. So this is kind of setting up what happens with Heroes Are Born. And then behind the scenes, you had basically Marvel handing over the keys of the kingdom to the Image Boys, in this case, basically Rob Liefeld and uh, Jim Lee's studios. And uh, basically saying, you know, come back, have your studios, we will license out basically these characters, and you can do what you want with them. And uh, that was a pretty big move, and obviously a sales stunt. I mean, these the guys had got, gone on to form Image and had a lot of sales success. Obviously, by 96, sales were flagging. Uh, the speculator boom had kind of ended. 
Uh, you're kind of getting away from that. Uh, just from the comic book industry, it's a, it's a fascinating perspective and point of view in terms of what was going on in the industry at that time. So you have these Heroes Are Born books come out, which you basically take five books and you throw them away. So you have Thor becomes Journey into Mystery and stays in the normal, regular Marvel Universe. Uh, Avengers goes away and gets relaunched with a new number one, which is probably helpful as well in terms of going from a number, what, 402 for Avengers into number one. Fantastic Four was, I think, at 415. They went to number one or 416. Uh, relaunched at number one. Um, you know, same thing with Iron Man was in the 330s. And then uh, the last one would have been uh, um, Captain America, which was in, I guess, the 400s. Uh, interesting kind of uh, story. Uh, I just actually lost the story I was going to tell. I was going to tell a story about the about this time. I remember when Heroes of War was first announced because I was reading the Onslaught times, and they had these little previews at the back of these new books that were going to be launching. Uh, and it was exciting, you know, it was, you know, and I remember being like, you know, oh, Iron Man number one, like, that's cool, I don't really know much about Iron Man, I'd seen him in the cartoon, I'd, I'd read, uh, one chapter of Hands of the Mandarin years ago, like a, a year or two earlier, um, back before he got replaced by Teen Tony, so, I mean, I didn't know even that Teen Tony was even a thing, they never really addressed it during, um, the onslaught chapters if you were just reading the x books which is all i was reading at that time so i remember kind of being like oh maybe i'd like to give one of these books a shot uh this really was my first real exposure to iron man i mean as i said i'd watched the cartoon i'd read an issue of the marvel um adaptation of the cartoon uh, the second issue of iron man i read that in one chapter of hands of the mandarin and then seen him kind of in the background not playing a huge role in onslaught um so i i, I hadn't really seen him as like a a main character he like you know that was this popular guy so when heroes born came i'm actually i remember this is the only one i ever really collected uh, my mom at the time was at a medical conference in portland and uh she was there and i hadn't really started going to a comic book store yet i was doing a lot of newsstands still which you can't do as much anymore especially if you're in the states um and so i remember reading about this and Knowing that this was coming and my mom was going, I'm like, Mom, if you're going, if you're going to Portland, can you go to a comic book shop? So random. She's like, What well, can I bring you back? You know, a souvenir for Portland? No, I, I'd like a comic book, please. I could get anywhere else. But so she brought me back an Iron Man, I guess one and two, um, and this kind of started my fascination with Iron Man as a character, um, which would continue for. I mean, I've always enjoyed the character, but I mean, my the biggest years of me enjoying him were basically this volume, volume two of Heroes Are Born. And then volume three, maybe issues one to 50 or so when Mike Grell took over. And then I kind of checked out completely. Um, the book had started to become a little stale in my estimation. Although, I, again, I was only like 17, 18 years old. What can I really say about a stale comic? Um, but anyway, so Iron Man Heroes Are Born. The first real Iron Man comic I was collecting. Uh, looking back on it, it's kind of a mess. Um... I still love the armor. I mean, if you ever if you have a, sh a chance to look at like the Iron Man number one cover, it's kind of ridiculous. It's very nineties. Um, it's not sleek at all in terms of the design. In case it actually looks very bulky, uh, you have like the, the red parts, but then you have these gold, and it almost looks like weird plating that there's like coils on it, and it just it looks very uncomfortable and uh, it's just kind of an odd design. And you have like this, the faceplate kind of goes into the the, the the larger helmet. You've got these giant exhaust vents in the back, which Nate loves to make fun of. Uh, Nathan Struck, who's an often guest of the show, 
Uh, he likes to make fun of this armor quite a lot. His favorite is obviously the modular armor, which I think I... Actually, no, I take that back. I might have received a copy of Iron Man 290 um, in and around when I was much younger, around those years. But again, I hadn't really read a lot of Iron Man. And actually, to be, to be fair, as a kid, reading those Iron Man comics out of sequence was incredibly jarring. Because you have one issue, like 290, I think it's 290, which is right around when uh, War Machine had kind of become a thing. Uh, Tony Stark had just been revealed to still be alive. And wasn't actually dead because he faked his own death. This is messed up stuff to come into as a kid. I the first issue that two ninety I believe is uh, I'm reading it and uh, Tony Stark has got weird sentience. He's trying to rebuild his body. Uh, he's using armor through some sort of mental harness. I mean it's weird stuff. Jim Rhodes is telling him to screw himself basically, and he hates him and very different than if you're watching the cartoon they're, they're buddies, they're friends and now you're reading this comic and they're really at each other's throats and that's kind of like an entry point and then uh, you know, a year or two later you're reading Hands of the Mandarin it's totally messed up I mean, the one I was reading I think it was part 3 of 6 so I don't even know what's happening there's in weird feudal armor uh, Mandarin is unmasking Tony Stark and it's just really weird stuff and then and then I'm reading, you know, Teen Tony basically acting as if he's not even a really, like, if you don't know it's Teen Tony, but you're reading the Teen Tony parts and Onslaught, you're like, Iron Man seems a little off, but I don't really know why. Um, and then, then you have Heroes Reborn. So Heroes Reborn, in a lot of ways, is kind of like Ultimate Iron Man. Um, in terms of, you know, it's totally free of previous continuity, just kind of, it's Scott LaBelle and Jim Lee writing with Will Spartacio and pencils, uh, and they're just telling the story. Now, at the time, I I loved this. Um, looking back on it, though, the art is a little hard to take. Protasha's art, um, there is a ton of white space. Um, there's a lot of panels where, like, you see one, like, I'm just, I'm flipping through the first issue, and I'm just amazed that almost every page has so much white space, because he's just doing, like, one little figure. There's no backgrounds to speak of at all. Uh, if you're doing a, a close-up shot of, like, a character and they're talking, there is no background. Uh, he's just talking in a vacuum. Um, Pepper Pot is suddenly a redhead for no reason. Um, although that quickly changes in, the I think, the second third issue. So there's a lot of inconsistencies here. Um, now, for everything that's wrong or kind of a mess about Heroes Reborn, there's a ton that I actually thought was really smart and clever. Um, the Hulk was folded into what was going on in Heroes Reborn. Uh, he was split off. Uh, Bruce Banner ended up being part of this Heroes Reborn universe, which was, I mean, later revealed to be this guy's, I guess, a projection basically of what Franklin had all these characters survive and show up in like a, uh, a pocket universe that he creates. Uh, so he's there. So, I mean, and, but there are some new elements. So I'm kind of skipping all over the place, but when it, when it all starts, you see, um, basically the same armor that we see in the rest of the comic, but it's, it's silver instead of gold. And it's a nice kind of callback to the Scarlet Centurion artwork. And we think it's Tony, but it's actually Rebel. And it's this, this good friend of Tony Stark who's piled in this armor. And then uh, because of the suit's feedback, it ends up killing him. We then flash forward, you know, years in the future. And then we have um, basically this this terror cell. His uh, Hydra, t you know, is basically attacks these, uh, these Stark guys. They're going to take out this, this uh, plant... Uh, that has the gamma bomb that basically Tony has um, 
uh, basically funded. And again, the art the art is a little inconsistent here because we have shots here where Tony has a beard or like a, like a goatee and the shots where he doesn't really have anything. Uh, it's inconsistent. Uh, this is probably the dickest that Tony Stark has ever really been because he's just a little bit more of an asshole here. Um, we see Betty Ross, which she's the head of security at Stark International. So again, her and uh, Bruce Banner are folded into the Iron Man supporting cast, which I think she thought was kind of clever. I like this. I really like this idea of the uh, the Atomic Knights of the Round Table that they keep mentioning, which is supposed to be uh, Reed Richards, Victor Von Doom, uh, this new character Rebel, um, Tony Stark, and Bruce Banner. And I was like, that's such a crazy and cool idea that these five people could be this. You know, why not have these five people all be kind of friends? And brainstorming because they all kind of, you know, have very similar types of, uh, you know, science that they explore, and especially with body armors. I mean, there's two of them work on body armor. Um, it's sad that I guess uh, Hank Pym didn't make it into that group, um, but that's you know, I I thought the idea of weaving Bruce Banner into Tony Stark's story was a smart plan. Uh, again, this is a, a very dickish version of Tony Stark. He's Pretty much an asshole. Pepper Potts kind of hates him as well. Um, the expanded cast that we get quickly get introduced to is Bruce Banner, Happy Hogan, who's the head of public relations instead of just being a bodyguard. Uh, Liz Ross, who's now the head of security. Leonard Sampson is there as a psychologist. Uh, you have Lieutenant Commander Jasper Sitwell, and you have Jennifer Walters, obviously uh, Bruce's cousin, and then uh, Pepper Potts and Stark. Um, I like that you have Madame Hydra kind of you needed a terrorist cell of some kind to kind of get the Gamma Bomb going. Um, so the Gamma Bomb is basically abducted, or, you know, not stolen is the wrong word, but purloined by uh, uh, by Hydra. Uh, Bruce Banner and uh, Betty Ross kind of are, are on the scene. Not really because they're supposed to be, but uh, Betty, you know, is there because she's a head of security. And you have Bruce Banner is there because he wants to help them deactivate the bomb. But then realizes that actually uh, Hydra's going to use the bomb, although it's never really clear because it looks like they're just going to blow up a blow it up where it is, which is kind of a weird. You know, they're not going to use it in a in a high impact site, but they're just going to they're just going to blow it up in its basically in its uh, silo. Basically, um, Bruce Banner decides he's going to deactivate it from inside because he's going to be able to drop it deep within the earth, and uh, he does that, but it blows up and then turns into the Hulk. Tony Stark is on his way to the facility because this is the facility uh, where the Gamma Bomb was housed as well as where the Prometheum Armor that was at the beginning of the issue was housed. On their way, they come across the Hulk who's just been created and the Hulk throws a giant boulder at the helicopter causing it to crash. Um, you know, Tony's barely able to survive with uh, with Jasper Sitwell. But now he has a lot of... Uh, he's You know, he's got a piece of... Um, uh, what's the word when you have... Uh, I'm not even speaking well today. When you shrapnel embedded in him, so he finds Prometheum armor and decides that maybe this mobile life support unit can save him. Although at this point, it's a little unclear because it looks like he's just got some puncture wounds, not like it's a heart problem like it traditionally has been. Um, but this armor is going to keep him alive, and then he confronts the Hulk. So that's basically where you start with this first issue. Second issue has Iron Man against the fighting against the Hulk, um, and then trying to kind of stop him and dump him in uh, Niagara Falls. It's a really cool fight. I really enjoy watching it. I mean, it's a great 
it's very enjoyable. Then the third issue, you have The Thing and the rest of the Fantastic Four showing up. And you have uh, Pepper Potts now being restored as a blonde in this universe. Uh, she then learns who Iron Man is, as Tony tells her. Uh, Tony is able to uh, stabilize his condition and also then uh, comes up with the idea that he's really just a bodyguard when he's in Iron Man form um, of himself as Tony Stark. And then uh, that's the first three issues, and it kind of establishes that new status quo. Issue number four has the living laser. Um, you also have the idea that Tony's kind of had a change of heart and he's realized he's been such a dick. And the living laser is actually an interesting villain because he's a guy who's, in this reality, is is motivated because he he basically had his company screwed over by Stark. And, um, you know, and that, the idea is that all these stories are pushing Tony Stark to realize that he's hurt a lot of people because of what he's done, is because he became so callous and became kind of an asshole uh, throughout the years. And he's trying to change and to turn over a new leaf. Um, issue number five, Whirlwind, um, comes up against him. Now, as a kid, four and five are actually the issues I was missing. I didn't have them. Um, I don't remember why. I guess they weren't available on newsstand. I remember picking up issue six. This would have been April, a cover date, April 97. And I remember this one, I actually picked up Fantastic Four to go with it. Um, oh wait, no, not Fantastic Four. Avengers number six, because it's part of the Industrial Revolution crossover. Uh, it was the first time there was ever really a crossover between the um, Heroes Are Born books and uh, you you had a, a little bit of a mention of one happening at the end of issue 5 and then in issue 6 of Fantastic Four you kind of had a, a glimmer of something was about to happen and then uh, Avengers number 6 picks up from the aftermath of what happened earlier in that book which I'll get to in a minute um, the Industrial Revolution crossover was kind of a nice Storyline. It was a story by uh, Scott Lobdell, and then pencils were by Jim Lee, Will Spatasha, and Ryan Benjamin. At this point, Ryan Benjamin had been doing a bunch of the books uh, of Iron Man. He'd done a few issues. Um, the Industrial Revolution storyline basically is the idea that Hulk is gone a little crazy. Uh, Loki's behind the scenes kind of manipulating things. You have uh, the FF and the Avengers trying to stabilize um, Avengers Island, which is kind of a precursor to the idea of the Triskelion in the Ultimates. Uh, there's a nuclear reactor that's about to go nuclear, you know, obviously nuclear, uh, and it's up to the Hulk to kind of... Although it's always unclear what the Hulk really does inside this reactor, but there's this giant mechanism of some kind which he has to, like, move, and looking at it now, it looks kind of laughable, because what is he doing, really? Uh, but Hulk, because he's so strong, is able to kind of manipulate it, and then... Now, I remember as a kid thinking this was amazing because in here, as he's doing this, suddenly you get this flash of onslaught saying, Behold my mighty hand. And it makes no sense whatsoever. What the hell? Like, onslaught is not involved in what's going on. This It's a pocket universe created by Franklin Richards. There's nothing to do with onslaught at this point. Yet, it was this kind of idea that something is connected to the old reality. It's not totally separate. Um... As a kid, I, I, again, I remember being like, this is so awesome. But reading it now as an adult, I'm kind of like, what the fuck is going on? Um, the end of issue number six is this idea that uh, maybe the Avengers are over because they've been working for S.H.I.E.L.D. And then Iron Man says, well, maybe not. Uh, this one, when things really start to change. Um, issue seven here. Let's see, this is written by... You're still getting plots by Scott Lobdell and Jim Lee, but at this point, Jeff Loeb starts scripting. Um, the artwork is still by Willis Potashu and Ryan Benjamin. Again, the Willis Potashu stuff is way overdone at times. Way too stylized. 
this I, I found like the first six issues were telling one story, this idea of, of Tony Stark changing as a person, and then issue seven kind of goes in a totally new, new direction because you have Tony basically opening up his mansion to the Avengers to be their new uh, base of operations. He's now an Avenger himself because he hadn't been up until this point. Um, you have Pepper Potts and Happy Hogan suddenly have a relationship which isn't really hinted at in the first six issues, but again is feeling more and more like the traditional status quo. Um, and then they kind of, they're kind of getting together and then they're attacked by Rebel who shows up, uh, who's I guess basically sent by uh, Hydra. And we learn that Madame Hydra isn't the isn't kind of what, you know, the, 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 the villain that she believes she is. Um, she's actually been manipulated by others. Um, and then this version of the Mandarin we get is also nothing like any version of the Mandarin I've ever seen before, and definitely my least favorite. Um, issue 8, you have this rebel character going up against Tony Stark, and we're also going to see a little bit more of uh, the Hulk still being around. You have Leonard Sampson being transformed. Uh, you have Jennifer Walters about to be transformed into the She-Hulk as well. Um, you have, you know, Rebel kind of trying to find out that Rebel has been kind of co- uh, forced into attacking Tony Stark, which leads into issue 9, uh, where we get to see a little bit more of a flashback to the Rebel character and his his background, to seeing why there there's a little bit more to what goes on in the first issue than we first realized. Uh, including him attacking uh, Titanium Man, which doesn't go so well for the uh, the uh, prototype of the Promethium armor. And then Rebel and Tony Stark decide to take the fight uh, back to uh, the Mandarin and Hydra. Uh, issue 10, uh, at this point, it's fully by Jeff Loeb. Um, you're also getting a little bit of a, a, a preface to what's going to happen at the end of the series, when you have uh, a totally unrelated Terax moment, which, if you're reading this, I mean, as a kid, I was kind of like, who's this character, this Terax guy? I think I saw him on that Fantastic Four cartoon, but reading it now, it's kind of like, there's nothing calling for this, and a character like Iron Man doesn't really speak towards having, like, the interstellar character of Terax, but it's kind of a weird uh, touch. Uh, so at this point, you have Jeff Loeb scripting with Terry Shoemaker on pencils. Um, so they, they kind of take it, they go to Russia... They fight against uh, the Crimson Dynamo and the Titanium Man, and they're going up against Hydra. At this point, Leonard Sampson has become the Abomination, basically. And uh, to try and stop this, um, they uh, they were going to try and funnel out the radiation from Abomination. Instead, they end up putting it into Jennifer Walters, because Hulk kind of goes crazy. And then that's what creates She-Hulk, and also uh, makes... Abomination into just basically of the traditional Leonard Sampson. Um, they go up against Madame Hydra, and we learn that truly there was no Mandarin, and there was really only ever Doctor Doom, uh, which leads into issue eleven, which is one of my favorite issues as a kid because it was this. I again as a kid, I'm starting to understand continuity more. This is a, a series kind of bereft of continuity, but. Um, suddenly they end up time jumping through time, um, uh, Tony and Doctor Doom, and now I know that that's actually something that happens often for Doctor Doom and Iron Man, or not often, but it's happened, at this point in continuity, it happened twice, in issues 150 and 250, it later would happen uh, a few years ago in a, in a miniseries, but, so they've done time jumping three times, so in this you have the first glimpse that maybe there's more two things that's going on. So they go back in time one year, and instead of seeing a year of what they believe to be their perceived lives, instead they see 
the battle final battle against Onslaught will go, although I mean, the depiction of Onslaught is more not really the version they were up against at the, that moment, but anyway. Um, and they see themselves, the previous version of Doctor Doom and Iron Man going up against uh, Onslaught. Uh, they then jolt to years ago when uh, the original Avengers were together, including the original uh, golden bucket armor of Iron Man. And it's this cool moment where they're kind of, they realize that they're each other and, um, you know, why are they jumping through time? Uh, you get to see the thing as Blackbeard and the thing recognizes Doom, obviously. Uh, then you have Merlin saying the men of iron here again for the first time, which is kind of a cool idea. Then they go back in time to the time of Ramatut and Ramatut recognizes. So what's interesting about this sequence in that it doesn't really make any sense because they're time jumping out of their time portal uh, into the actual history of the Marvel Universe, which is interesting. Because uh, they're, they're in a bubble uh, created by Franklin Richards, yet somehow they're the time machine for uh, Doctor Doom is able to go outside of that. But then when they go back in time to a million years BC, they see something that appears... To, they see, I believe, Airwalker. But that seems to be something more um, just kind of centered on the Heroes of War universe itself. But it's, it's kind of an interesting decision. Uh, and then we have uh, the Watcher show up, and you have the Hulkbusters, which... It's kind of the different version of the Hulkbusters because the Hulkbusters are meant to be the Busters of Hulk. Uh, yet here, the Hulkbusters refers to a team of She-Hulk, uh, Leonard Sampson, and um, and the Hulk, which makes no sense. Also, which makes no sense, um, the, a blood transfusion out of the Abomination, somehow making him from the Abomination into just standard uh, Leonard Sampson with green hair and super strength, and making Jennifer Walters into the She-Hulk. Uh, I just think that's kind of a weird decision. And then you have issue t uh, 12, which, I mean, as a kid I really liked. It was by Ed Bennis, did the artwork. Kind of the most uh, attractive that anyone had been in the uh, Heroes of Born run of Iron Man, um, where you have the heroes kind of all banding together to go up against uh, Galactus and his heralds, and things don't go so well, which leads into a different book. So that's Iron Man. Again, as a kid, I... I, I had issues 1 to 3 and then 6 to 12. I never read issue 13, uh, the Wildstorm kind of crossover. I don't even think that's available in the trades. You can't get those issues unless you actually buy them, and I never bought them when they came out. So I'm always going to kind of remain ignorant of that, which I'm fine with. Um, so that that's the one that, to, to me, has the, the most significance because I really loved it growing up. I like, I mean, I look at the art now, and it's kind of rough, but... Uh, it's not nearly as sleek as Iron Man normally is. It's a little too gritty trying. Um, but again, as a kid, it was amazing. And it was my entry point in the Iron Man. And uh, when Heroes Reborn happened, sorry, Heroes Return, um, I think I don't think I really followed any of them except for I, I read maybe five issues of Avengers before I had to drop it because, you know, I was maybe 13 years old. I didn't have a lot of money, or maybe 15. I didn't have a lot of money to spend on comics. Um, so, I guess what, I guess that would have been around 97, 98, so yeah, I would have been about 14, 15. Uh, I didn't have a lot of money, so I had to be very judicious in which comics I was buying. So, Avengers, I, I think, got five issues, and then I dropped it. Um, Fantastic Four, I think I picked up a couple, but I really wasn't that into it at that point. Um, Captain America, I read, I think, the first six issues of that, maybe seven or eight. And But Iron Man, I think I read that for 50-something issues. That was the kind of the series for me. And so, if it wasn't for Heroes Reborn, I may never really gotten into Iron Man at all. Uh, so, I mean, and for a long time, Iron Man was one of my favorite Marvel characters. And I, 
a lot of that is owed to Heroes of War for kind of getting me interested in that character. So in terms of kind of making people buy new issue, uh, buy this series because it was with a new number one, which these days happens all the time, but, you know, back in 1996, uh, 97, that didn't happen that often. Um, renumbering didn't wasn't a common occurrence. Uh, now we take it for granted that it's going to happen every maybe every 18 issues, depending on how, how long the run goes. I mean, nowadays we just kind of take it for granted it's going to happen. And then eventually when it when they add up all the numbers and get to like 500 or 600, they'll go back. And then within a few issues, they'll probably go back to a new number one. That's just the way of business these days. So, but at the time, it was it was enough of a kind of excitement. And uh, I used to love how they used to have previews at the end of the book. You know, this is what's coming up. And you'd see the first few pages of Iron Man or... I think it was, I, I, the only one I remember is Iron Man, but that was enough, you know, and I, I wish we'd see more of that kind of fun stuff. Um, I'll, I'll briefly talk about the others. I, again, I don't have the same level of love, and I don't think they're as good. You have uh, Captain America, which was by Rob Liefeld. Um, not a very good book. Um, let's see, the first issue, Rob Liefeld was in Story Pencils and Edits with uh, Jeff Loeb actually writing it. Okay, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say parts of this weren't actually terrible. Um, I mean, a lot of it is, obviously. But, I mean, if you read the first issue, I mean, get, you have to get outside the art for a second. I kind of like the idea that instead of this being a man in ice, uh, instead, he's kind of been... Uh, I guess they don't really explain how he's still so young. But basically, he's young now, and uh, he's got kind of got a life, and... He's got other ideas, and at some point he was basically hypnotized or brainwashed into forgetting who he was as Captain America, and then he's been given this life, but this life that he was given was basically not real, and he got kids, which were really LMDs, a wife that was an LMD. Nick Fury kind of comes to him and reactivates him. Uh, it's an interesting version of the character, not the best origin, obviously. Um, you have... Uh, you know, Captain America being reactivated by S.H.I.E.L.D., going up against uh, the Red Skull and um, the Masterman. Um, man, looking back on it, there are elements of the script which aren't bad, but um, some of it's so painfully 90s, especially having Ricky Barnes as his uh, sidekick, which is kind of weird. Uh, I'm going to kind of flip by most of it because it, a lot of it's just a mess. Um, because it, Mainly because of the art, because it's less concerned with giving a really really tight story because there's a lot of weird stuff that happens in here um and more about giving you some really great visuals uh, some of the visuals are actually aren't bad but again they're very 90s very life old and you have to be able to kind of get beyond that issue six i remember as a kid wanting to read this so bad and i could never find a copy of this because it was uh it includes cable and this was interesting because again we hadn't really seen any glimpses of the regular marvel universe at all and yet suddenly we had an issue where you had Cable and you had um, Captain America, and even the first page of the comic says, that, you know, C Cable's going, aren't you dead? And Captain America's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But what's weird is that you have a Cable who's not even dressed in anything that he was wearing at that time in the comics. I mean, nowadays, you know, you're not reading at the same time as you're reading the other Cable comics, so you don't see that as the same. Um, but it's an interesting little kind of these two people kind of hanging out together. Uh, you also have a quick epilogue at the end of the issue, which shows uh, the end of the Industrial Revolution, where you have 
Thor, Iron Man, and Captain America deciding that uh, the Avengers are still going to assemble. Um, issue 7, great cover. Absolutely love it. You have James Robinson starts writing the book. And this is where the book kind of picks up steam. Uh, it gets a lot more interesting from here on out. Uh, although, at first, issue 7 is a little rough just because it's very dated and it feels like an unnecessary recap. But going from there, you have Joe Bennett uh, jumps on the book, and I love his artwork. Um, you have a Serpent Society story where you have Cap America kind of on the run. Um, not on the run, sorry, on the road goes up against the Serpent Society, and it's kind of a modern version of a classic. Probably not as good as the original, but it's uh, it's entertaining nonetheless. And at one point, it looks like Nick Fury's instead of uh, Richard Dixon is uh, this, but the agent, but it turns out he's not. Uh, what's interesting about Cap America is it's also the book where we get the last chapter of the twelve, uh, the four part um, Galactus story uh, that's running through the t- issue twelve of Heroes Reborn, which is interesting. Uh, then we have FF, which uh, I actually kind of like the, the of of all of them. This again has not a bad version of the origin. Uh, it has, uh, whereas the ultimate version of Fantastic Four went more on the science angle. This one honestly feels like something that you could actually watch a movie of. Um, like the, this, Heroes Are Born FF does feel more cinematic in terms of it being a movie. Um, it's I believe it's written in penciled by Jim Lee. I'm just flipping through my copy as we speak. Um, yeah, it looks... Uh, oh, look, uh, here we go. Jim Lee plot, Brandon Choi on script, and then Jim Lee on pencils. Um, what I like about it is the idea that you start with... Um, you think you're seeing kind of the, the actual flight, and it turns out you're seeing a, a simulation of the flight. Uh, again, you establish... Reed and, and Ben and you have uh, Susan Storm's company being involved in this project to you know, go into space um, you establish kind of why Johnny Storm is even involved because he's kind of this hotshot you know, pilot and uh, playboy um, they're a little bit more antagonistic him and Ben, ben Grimm but uh, the core relationships are here and then you have White Wingfoot kind of representing uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. or theoretically S.H.I.E.L.D. but it turns out not to be S.H.I.E.L.D. and instead He's representing uh, Victor Von Doom. Uh, you know, y- you have um, the flight kind of being carried out earlier than it should have been by Reed and his group, and then they, they come to Earth and they, you know, experience the changes, obviously, of turning into the Fantastic Four, and then they come across the Mole Man. Um, a nice encapsulation of kind of the core elements of their of uh, the FF. Um, in tone, I mean, it's not that different from the classic uh, obviously, there's a little bit more of an edge to them, uh, and I'll, but you know what? I, I think that in this day and age, the idea of going up without a lot of shielding and and going into space is a little harder to accept because, I mean, we're not kind of doing this race to the moon anymore. So instead, they kind of instill within these characters an idea that this project's being taken away from them. They're supposed to go into space. Uh, they're not going to let them do this. There's a reason for them to kind of uh, hurriedly go into space and and uh, kind of make up for the fact that Reed Richards should be smart enough to know that the shielding isn't enough uh, because he's a brilliant guy but somehow he's not quite smart enough to know that the shielding is enough to protect him and his his uh, and his loved ones um, and then you have issue 2 basically brings in Atlantis and Namor 
Uh, issue three, I remember, was the first issue of the Fantastic Four actual uh, Heroes Reborn that I ever actually read. Um, I think it's because it was like in, a, in some sort of multi-pack when I was in Florida as a kid, and I picked it up, and uh, it was pretty cool to see, you know, the the uh, the Avengers and the FF going up against the forces of Namor and Atlantis. Uh, again, the Jim Lee artwork never hurts. Um, it's actually it's gorgeous stuff. Like I forget just how good looking his Fantastic Four was. Um, so I, I thought the first three issues were kind of a nice, a nice version of the origin, and it's kind of leading into each uh, adventure because the first adventure, you know, when they crash land, leads them directly into the Mole Man. That second issue leads right into the Battle of Atlantis, and then the fourth issue you have, uh, man, I'm looking at the cover, and it has a great shot of the Thing wearing a ridiculous giant metal backpack for no reason, uh, as well as Sue Storm having a, a leather jacket. But what I love about it is that the thing is smoking a stogie, which he doesn't do anymore. In fact, no Marvel characters do. I kind of miss that. It's it's a floating it's flavor that most people wouldn't care about, but I do for some reason. Um, at this point, Brandon Choi is still doing the script, and Jim Lee is still doing the plot and pencils. Uh, issue four involves the uh, Black Panther uh, being introduced, and uh, then we also Doctor Doom fully is introduced as well. Um, then we go into issue five. Again, more Doom stuff. And this is where um, I, I felt like the artwork starts to fall apart a little, but it's a pretty good Doom story. Uh, I did, and, but then you're throwing in Super Scroll, and a lot of weird shit starts going down, and I, I feel like it starts to get away from itself as they're trying to do a little too much uh, instead of keeping the storytelling tight, uh, especially as we go on to, to I believe, issue six. Um... Yeah, issue six is a little messy with that super skull, etc. But then you're leading into an, into uh, the industrial revolution crossover, which I mentioned. Then issue seven, again, everyone was having these moments where they're involving in other characters from the Marvel universe. So here we have, um, again, a weird kind of time jump. Uh, I guess they're going through the negative zone and they end up kind of time jumping and they see uh, Wolverine during the. Um, Wolverine, sorry, X-Men of uh, Fantastic Four crossover of the, I guess, 80s, because uh, She-Hulk's there. Uh, you have Yuatsu kind of telling them that they don't belong there in this time jump. It's It doesn't make a lot of sense, again, because they're in this pocket universe. How are they getting out of this pocket universe and into the regular time stream? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, it's interesting that the Iron Man one, Iron Man also has an interaction with a Marvel Universe character, but it doesn't take place in his actual book. It takes place in Iron Man, I believe, sorry, X-Men, number 65, I believe, um, right at the beginning of uh, Operation Zero Tolerance, where if you read that back now, like, I have the, the hardcover of that, and it's kind of weird to be reading that, that series and be like, whoa, Iron Man's here? What's going on? And then you're like, oh yeah, here's a what's going on. Uh, issue 8, I think Jim Lee had the longest... Uh, I guess involvement with this. At this point, Brett Booth, Brett Booth takes on the pencils, uh, but the script is by Brendan Choi, uh, plot by Jim Lee. And this is where we bring in the Inhumans uh, and Crystal. We bring in the idea of Galactus is further expanded upon, uh, the idea of his heralds. And then we uh, eventually lead into uh, the heralds come back to Earth. You also have uh, Johnny Storm and Crystal kind of having their mini relationship, uh, which is not heavily expanded upon, and then bam, we have the four-part crossover where the FF are fighting against uh, Galactus and his heralds, and then Doom 
you know, takes off and is in a time bubble to a little bit earlier, where he shows up in Avengers 12, then Iron Man 12, then Captain America 12, and finally, based on his three previous experiences failing against uh, Galactus, are finally able to take him down. Leads us to the fourth and final of the Heroes Reborn books, which is Avengers, um, also originally by uh, Liefeld Studio. Um, Iron Man and uh, FF were by Jim Lee Studio, and everything else, uh, Avengers and Cap, were by Rob Liefeld. So Rob, at this point, was doing the story pencils uh, of uh, Avengers, and then Jim Valentino was actually doing the script on the first issue of, uh, of Avengers. Um, actually, I'm wrong here. Looks like the, the only the second half of the first issue of Avengers was actually penciled by Rob Liefeld. The other half was by Chap Yeep, who I've never heard of outside of uh, this particular comic. Um, <laughs> the Avengers is kind of a tough one. I mean, you have Loki, which doesn't make a lot of sense because Loki wasn't involved in Onslaught, yet somehow Loki shows up in um, Heroes of War in any way. Uh, and you hear that, which is kind of a nice flip too as well, is that this first arc of Avengers takes place after the first arc of Captain America. Captain America's already been revived and is now leading the Avengers. Um, the man who's found in, not ice, but basically like Amber, is actually Thor himself, and he's found by Don Dr. Donald Blake, which is kind of a nice little revision. Um, the Avengers include Swordsman, uh, I hate the caution with puffy, puffy shoulder pads, uh, way too many swords on his back. Um, he'd be really, he wouldn't be moving around that quickly. Uh, you have a Scarlet Witch who's with, um, Agatha Harkness. Obviously in the Heroes of Warren continuity, there is no, uh, Quicksilver because he never went through into the, um, into the Onslaught bubble. You have the Vision there, you have, uh, Hellcat, who looks a little, lot more like Tigra here. Um, and obviously you have Captain America leading the team, and, uh, He's, so he's leading the Avengers. Um, you have an early version of Ultron showing up. You have a Hawkeye who's wearing gold instead of purple. And who apparently was... I don't know who he's supposed to be, but there's been certain, I guess, conjectures online that maybe he's supposed to be like Wolverine for some reason. Because uh, I think he says Bub at some point. Or or at least they give him the um, the same... They, they The font they give him is very much the same as Wolverine was talking with at that point in time. And he kind of has these weird, almost uh, uh, Wolverine-esque eye slats. It's, it's such a weird costume that doesn't make any sense. In their first adventure, they free um, Thor, who then ends up fighting against them, which doesn't make a lot of sense, but Thor is being manipulated by Loki. Um, this version of, of he, the... Oh man, I'm just looking at it. The size and proportions of the Avengers is ridiculous, and it's not consistent at all. Uh, you have Enchantress and Loki uh, kind of meeting up to decide how they're going to vex the Avengers. Uh, issue 2, again, we have more versions of Ultron being created. Uh, you have a, a Kang showing up in issue 2 and 3, then issues, I guess, 4 and 5 have uh, Hulk going up against the Avengers. Uh, then 6, as I mentioned, is the first chapter of um, industrial Revolution and, and at that point the plot is by Rob Liefeld and Jeff Loeb uh, and then you have scripting by Jeff Loeb and uh, Ian Churchill takes over art which is beautiful artwork and actually some of my favorite artwork for this version of Iron Man as much as I loved the artwork in that main book uh, he looks even better here 
Um, Rob Liefeld really had a lot less to do, as is a continuing theme, really only the first half of the year uh, where the original creator is really involved. And then they had less and less to do with the books. And like issue seven, we have scripting by Jeff Loeb. Um, let's see. And, and then everything kind of goes crazy. Uh, again, which, which is kind of the way that they do. They kind of throw everything against the wall. Um, I remember reading these years later. And I liked having the Avengers, you know, include Iron Man now. Um, you have, I guess, the Masters of Evil show up at um, at the front door. You have Wonder Man showing up and, you know, fighting against uh, Thor. And then we see, sorry, not the Masters of Evil, my bad. They're called the Lethal Legion. You have Enchantress, Wonder Man, Ultron 5, and uh, I guess the Executioner. And I remember reading this issue... And the artwork is so good on this last page. I mean, Churchill is not to be underestimated. I love his artwork. Um, then issue eight, he kind of jumps off because, you know, he already did two issues, so it's time for a new penciler, obviously. Um, and then I believe, I'm trying to find... Oh, Ant-Man, by the way, is kind of thrown away early on in this book. Ends up inside um, the Vision, and I don't even know when he gets out, but I don't know if it really matters. Um... Walt Simonson takes over writing with um, Michael Ryan and Art. And I actually really like Michael Ryan's take. Um, so they go up against the Lethal Legion. And then next, the next issue we have Masters of Evil, which is the Black Knight, Whirlwind, Radioactive Man, Claw, and the Melter. The problem with this is that they're just throwing in villains and not really just building them up, not really making it organic. And they're just attacking the mansion over and over and over again. <coughs> Excuse me. You have the Scarlet Witch turning against them, which is kind of a precursor to, I mean, the Scarlet Witch being a villain. Then you have Thor showing up, and this is where I remember things being really confusing, because suddenly Thor shows up, and it's not the Thor that we've had for the first, like, nine issues, but instead it's a Thor that kind of remembers dying in Heroes Reborn, which doesn't make any sense, and then it's a big Avengers and Loki battle, because Loki's kind of very, you know, omnipresent throughout the entire run, and then finally we have issue 12, and it's all over. Um, so, I mean, so that's Heroes Reborn. It's a bit of a mess, uh, but there are a lot of highlights that I really enjoy, and uh, after you had all these books, I remember uh, being really jazzed about Heroes Reborn The Return. Uh, each issue had two variant covers, um, sorry, a variant cover, because there was a regular and a variant. It was some of the best uh, Salvador La Roca artwork I've ever kind of seen. Well, not maybe not his best. I really liked his um, his digitally uh, colored stuff from when he was on Extreme X-Men. Um, but he, he does really good stuff on Heroes Reborn the Return as they figure out a way to kind of bring the uh, heroes back to the regular Marvel Universe. Um, what I like about this kind of stuff and, and, and this is really goes for any kind of comic books where I kind of go back and read something that um, from the past is kind of seeing the artifacts of the time. So there's a, a part here where the Hulk is kind of rampaging. It's the short hair Hulk. Um, he's he got all this energy that's kind of flowing out of him because he's a little bit tied to what happened with Franklin Richards and his ball of energy. Uh, so he's confronted by Hercules wearing the most ridiculous costume. He's bare chested, but he's kind of wearing this. Um, this weird kind of wrap, so he's got like the, the sides of him are kind of covered uh, going up, but uh, his chest is free, he's got like a tiara, he's got some metal armbands for no reason, he's wearing these giant metal boots which don't like go way up past the calves, 
um, basically almost up to the top of his leg, which doesn't make any sense. You have the Thunderbolts in, the, in their earliest version before they were revealed to be villains. I love shit like this. I love seeing these older characters. Um, it's just kind of nice to see. I, I, I don't know why I like it so much. Um, let's see, who else we got here? Yeah, this is just a lot of fun. And and the whole the idea is that you have the Celestials kind of kind of having to make Franklin decide which reality he's going to keep. Uh, he wants to keep both, both, but he's able to then... Uh, Doom and the other heroes are able to come up with a way to traverse from the pocket universe through the negative zone back into the regular universe. And that's how they're all going to survive. And um, it's kind of I don't know, it's an interesting idea. Also, seeing the uh, Doctor Strange at the time, I kind of liked his uh, his uh, 90s costume. It's a, a different look, but I kind of like it. Uh, and this kind of brings old heroes back, puts them in certain, you know... Um, in certain scenarios and situations for when they return. Um, <coughs> I always remember, excuse me, as a kid, again, I hadn't read a lot of these characters pre Heroes Reborn, and there's this uh, one page where you have these characters, you know, like you have Sue Storm, as they go through this kind of vibration, um, they get all their memories back and re remember who they were. So uh, permit, for, permit me for a moment to read this narration. And Sue sees a, a life of wedded bliss of her child, and she is content. And you see that shot of kind of her with Reed being happy and being happy with Franklin. And you have a shot of Bruce Banner and he says, And Bruce sees a life of wedded discord of an abusive father of a young man once carefree, now crippled. And he is stunned. And obviously this is mentioning, uh, obviously his issues with Betty, uh, Betty um, Ross throughout the years. Uh, also, obviously, uh, his dad, Brian Banner, and how abusive he was. As well as Rick Jones, who at that point was uh, crippled. Uh, because of the the Hulk basically slapping him or, or hitting him pretty hard. Um, then you have Tony. And Tony sees a life of weakness, of juvenile behavior, and dependency, and he is angry. Um, so obviously he's seeing himself being an alcoholic. I guess seeing Teen Tony as well. Uh, and Steve sees a life of battle, of dedication, of service to a cause, and he is unchanged. And I like that idea that uh, you know, he, he's kind of, his choices are, are the right ones for him, and they always will be, because he's Captain America. Um, and then the, that's kind of it. I mean, it's kind of relatively simple, and then the heroes return, and, and then eventually we have Heroes are Born, which maybe we'll talk about at another point. Uh, anyway, so that, that's kind of the, the Heroes Were Born kind of year that was, um, Again, it's very much of the times. It's emblematic of Marvel trying to, you know, while the bankruptcy stuff was kind of happening, try to save their heroes. Uh, which ironic about it is that uh, as much as Heroes Are Born sold well when it started, it, it kind of fizzled out, and it, them not being part of the Marvel universe felt weird. And uh, also, obviously, the creators that were involved in kind of bringing to life these new adventures quickly tapered off. Uh, so you had all these things going on, and then Heroes Re uh, Return would end up being a huge success, not just sales-wise, but critically, because Iron Man and Avengers would be written by Kurt Busiek, who was doing an amazing job on both titles. Uh, his Iron Man was fantastic, it was very fresh. Um, it didn't bother addressing the Teen Tony stuff right away, it just kind of said, this is Tony Stark, he's back from the dead. I mean, he was already dead, right? Because he was, he was killed off during the crossing. Uh, but now he's he's back alive. The Marvel Universe knows he's alive. Uh, Iron Man's back and he's up and running. 
Um, the Avengers are stronger than ever. Uh, it's interesting to read pre-Heroes Reborn and then read post-Heroes Reborn and Heroes Return. And, oh my god, it's like night and day. I mean, Kurt Busiek and George Perez really redefined the Avengers in, for the 90s and made it classic again and felt like the Avengers again. Um, Fantastic Four, a little bit of a rougher road. Um, I think it was Lobdell who started it and then Claremont or vice versa. Um, it had a bit of a harder road and didn't really have the str- as strong a sense of identity throughout kind of the Heroes Reborn period. It was probably the runt um, of the four. Um, you had Captain America that was now by... Um, Oh my god, now I'm forgetting. Uh, Mark Wade was back with uh, Ron Garney, and he had a, a, a good couple of years on the book. Ron Garney wasn't on it that long, but again, it was a very strong return. And it felt like a, more of a love letter to, like, this is what Captain America can be. Um, right before Here's a Born, it, it was strong, but it felt very 90s in its own way. Um, just in terms of what was going on with Sharon Carter, she was very hard edged as a character not really that attractive in terms of uh, a character I wanted to read about. Um, she was just so angry and angsty. Whereas when you come back, it felt more like an exploration of what it meant to be Captain America and this idea of Cap Mania, which uh, was a really great kind of perspective that Mark Wade took when writing Heroes Reborn. Uh, sorry, Heroes Return. I get confused on the words all the time. And then obviously you also had a few years, a few months later because uh, I remember it was a staggered launch. I can't remember which one, which two happened first, but one month it was, let's say it was Fantastic Four and Iron Man. I don't remember. And then the next month it was Avengers and FF. Uh, so kind of like that they staggered out those those relaunches. Uh, and then a few months after that, you had Thor come back, which was very strong as well. Again, bringing Thor kind of back to basics, uh, although in some ways not, because uh, it was kind of bringing him back to basics in terms of having a human host again. He wasn't just Thor. He was Thor and Jake Olsen. Um, also, you had kind of a mystery of what was going on with the Asgardians because their fate was already kind of up in the air back when Thor was still around before Heroes Reborn happened. Um, and eventually, it would take a while before restoring Asgard to what it used to be. Uh, but again, by the time it happened, it felt kind of earned. So, that's uh, that's Heroes Born, um, and a little bit of a, an idea of how I feel about Heroes Return. Uh, thank you for listening. This has been episode 132, our, our first episode of the new year. Uh, happy 2014, everybody. Um, and uh, hopefully it'll be a good year for the podcast, and we'll have some good stuff coming up for you. I'm not sure what the upcoming weeks will have in store. Uh, obviously, I'd like to have more episodes where it's not just me prattling on because I know I can become a little monotonous when it's just my voice over and over and over again. Um, I know I'm, I might lull some of you to sleep. Um, in, in case I do, I got some sleep remedy number nine. Uh, anyways, thank you for listening. Uh, you can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Please rate and review us on iTunes. We really appreciate it uh, to help grow the audience for the uh, podcast. Uh, also, please post in our HG Realms uh, threads as well. If you just have any comments on how you felt about Heroes Are Born uh, or Heroes Return or things you'd like to see in the upcoming episodes, you know, let me know um, what you'd like to see. I mean, I'd like as much as possible to uh, make the show representative of what people want. Uh, so if it's something that you'd like to hear me talk about, then let me know and I'll, I'll make sure to do that. Um, I'm sure some, soon we'll be having a, a new solicitations episode when those are released. So I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, yeah, many more, many more good things, hopefully. Uh, 
sometime in the near future there should be a Star Trek uh, podcast that myself and Tibor Mate will be uh, tackling. Uh, again, at some point I would like to do um, an Infinity wrap-up with Paul Scores as well as a, a look back at the first year of Superior Spider-Man, especially as we're ramping into issue 25, coming out in the, not this week, but next. Um, so yeah, a lot of good stuff on the horizon. So thank you for joining me for this episode, and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye.